This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. This is an historic time. This is going to be a multi-year fight. Why is it taking so long to get a screening test? It is not a hoax. It is real. Something that we have never experienced before. Wash hands, wash hands, wash hands. I mean, you're the scientist. You're going to have to tell me. (laughs) Welcome, welcome to Science Rules Coronavirus Edition. I'm your host, Bill Nye, and this is the series that brings you the latest analysis and the science of this pandemic to keep you informed, prepared, and calm. We're still all in this together, my friends. More than 5 million people in the U.S. have been infected with this novel coronavirus. That's roughly 1.5% of the population. There have been at least 170,000 deaths, which means that the vast majority of people with the virus are indeed recovering. But what does that recovery look like? More specifically, what are the long-term health effects of COVID-19? Here to help answer that is Dr. William Petrie. He is the chief of the Division of Infectious Diseases and International Health at the University of Virginia. He is also an alumnus of Lafayette Elementary School, where he and I played kickball and stuff like that. And now the great circle of life has brought us back together. Bill, it's so good to see you. May I call you William? Wait, Dr. Petrie, may I call you Bill? Oh, Bill, please. It's, it's so wonderful to see you again, too. Thank you. <laughs> wow. You're this big dog on deal, man. It's so cool. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. What are the long-term effects? What we know from a questionnaire that the CDC sent out is the average person takes about three weeks to recover from the illness so that they're, they're feeling well again. Now, when you say recover, is there degrees of recovery kind of thing? I believe there are. Um, And if if the average person is taking three weeks, that means half the people are taking longer than three weeks to recover from this. Actually, I just finished a week of like working in our our special pathogens unit. And so over the week that I was on service, I cared for about 30 patients that were hospitalized with COVID-19. And this is in Charlottesville, Virginia. That's right. Yeah. University of Virginia. We have like a brand new part of the hospital and we've dedicated an entire floor to uh, caring for patients with COVID-19 and just spectacular nursing care. It's really was fun working there. How many people recover? And just to get grim on every, how many people die? Yeah, so no one died the, the, the week that I, I was there. We had one person who needed to go to intensive care because her oxygen requirements got too high for what we could provide on, on our part of the ward. So your, your COVID ward is not the IC in, intensive care ward. Different thing. That's right. Yeah, it's a different thing. And um, I'd say overall, the patients are doing better because we have like two drugs now that we didn't have even a month ago. We know like the dexamethasone decreases deaths. Uh, 
Okay, well, but, 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 but dexamethasone, <laughs> what is it? <laughs> yeah, so dexamethasone is a prednisone derivative, and it, and it dampens down the inflammation because it looks like a lot of the damage in the lungs is from the body's immune response and not so much from the virus itself. And that's actually one of the things that I'm doing research on is to understand how the immune system could actually be making this disease worse. This is the mythic cytokine storm? That's right. Although our evidence is that it's, it's more of an allergic storm. It's more of a cytokine called interleukin-13, which is really important in allergic asthma. That seems to be driving some of the pulmonary damage. Okay. So I've heard of interleukin, right? Um, I've heard of white blood cells. Uh, I've heard of leukocytes. That's a white blood cell. What's interleukin-13? So interleukin-13, that's a way that the immune system talks to itself. And so one cell will make this protein called interleukin-13, and it goes to another white blood cell and uh, activates it. And so cells like eosinophils that are a big problem in allergy are activated by IL-13. This thing starts in your lungs. How long does it take to get all these other extraordinary places that it seems to go? Well, you know, this is, it was so interesting for me, like caring for the patients like over the last week, because until you take care of someone with an illness, I don't think you really understand it. And it's so dramatic how, how insidious the onset is that this, this infection is happening over several weeks time from getting infected to having really severe disease. And that's really unlike any other viral infection that I know of. What do we know about the biggest of picture, like the overall stats, how long this thing lasts, how long it takes you to recover, how many people will have long-term effects. Do you have intimate knowledge of those things? So the average person is going to take about like three weeks to recover. Probably like the, you know, the, the side effects we worry about are the lungs, but recovering from any viral infection, you can, uh, develop like chronic fatigue-like syndrome. And so like Lyme disease, this has been a problem. There's a viral infection called dengue, where if you get these symptoms, it can take you weeks to months to recover. And we don't, as physicians, understand what is wrong with the immune system that, you know, for a prolonged period of time that you're not recovering completely, that you can have fatigue, a cough, shortness of breath, um, you know. Um, so is that are those immune problems? Your immune system not getting over itself? I, I that that's what most people believe. Again, it's it's something that we don't understand. It's it's clear wow. that that um, this is a common complication of this infection, of Lyme disease, of dengue, and there's there's research going on, and there's a lot of people that are affected by it, and and it's hard as a doctor because I I, I can tell a patient this is a real disease you have, and I don't know what the right thing is to do for it. Is there a list of symptoms from worse to not so bad? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the, being completely without symptoms, of course, is, is the best. We don't really understand like how many people are completely asymptomatic. Most people have two or three days where they're pre-symptomatic. And so this is, they have the infection, they're going to get ill and they don't know it yet. And we see damage in their lungs in this pre-symptomatic period. And then the commonest way to, to present with this is with cough and fever and like a daily fever. But some people can have diarrhea. You can have something as mild as just like you know, cold and flu-like symptoms with like, you know, the sniffles and a, and a cough. That What's interesting is that this progresses though over days to weeks. And so the, the, the people who are most severely ill, 
you can look back in time and, and the cough becomes shortness of breath. And then the shortness of breath becomes so severe that they need to come in the hospital to get it supplemental oxygen. And it's this very, very slow but relentless progression, which to me is like so remarkable about this infection. It makes me really suspect that a lot of this is immune mediated because the virus can replicate so rapidly. It, it doesn't need like days to weeks to make you sick. And so I think it's the immune system that's contributing so much. All right. So those are symptoms going in. What are the effects going out? Do the symptoms go away in the reverse order? They do. And so the patients that, that we were discharging, for example, one of the key things is, is can you get out of your hospital bed and walk to the bathroom without getting short of breath? Because that's like, that's like a sort of a stress test, you know, that you're exercising by walking. Um, and, and, and so that, that's a key thing for sending someone home. And then the fever disappears almost immediately, the daily fever, but that's because of the dexamethasone, because it so suppresses the immune system that you lose that fever. Huh. But again, it was a very encouraging experience for me working over the last week because there's so many things we know how to do today that we didn't know how to do a month ago. You know, that's like wow. really amazing. It is, yeah. So let me ask you this. So let's say somebody has no symptoms or very minor symptoms. Does he or she get the same chronic long-term effects that somebody with big heavy-duty symptoms had? We think not. I think it's going to take like you know additional time to know for sure. But we're we're most concerned about patients who were so sick that they needed to be on a ventilator. And again, like most of them are surviving and they're going home and they're resuming normal lives. But we're concerned whether their lung function is going to totally return to normal because. This, this cytokine interleukin-13, um, not only does it cause asthma, but it helps promote tissue healing. But when you heal your lungs, you can scar them or get fibrosis. And a fibrotic lung just doesn't expand as well, and, and you don't have the same capacity to, to get oxygen. And so that's the concern. Is like this minority of patients may have long-term complications. And it would be, you think the complications would be in the lungs? Predominantly, there's you know there's there's other things that are going on. The, you know the clotting system is activated for reasons we don't understand. There can be some damage to the heart and to the kidneys, but I'd say like the lion's share of the problem is in the lungs. So I think about you know my parents smoked back at Lafayette Elementary School, and uh, and they stopped, and the belief was that their lungs recovered over the course of decades. I'm throwing around a term. Does a fibrotic yeah. lung, lung that's been damaged by this, recover? It 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 doesn't appear to. You're right, though. If you stop smoking, your risk of cancer drops to like sort of baseline about after about like five years or so. But fibrosis in the lungs doesn't heal uh, completely, and that's you know that's different than in the liver, for example. Like if you get fibrosis in your liver from hepatitis, that heals but less so in the lung. And, and again, we don't understand what's different about those two organs that one is able to heal better than another. We'll be back right after this. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 
50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. From muddy jungle paths to snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder is ready to take you to some of the most phenomenal destinations on Earth. In a Pathfinder, it's more than just the arrival. The real excitement comes from the ride to get there. With seven drive modes, Pathfinder's available intelligent four-wheel drive is built for some of the most epic journeys. So chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures in the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. Intelligent four-wheel drive cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. So let me just muse about this. So let's say you get sick with coronavirus, you have a fever, you test positive, but you never go to the hospital. You recover like the majority of people do, right? How concerned should those people be about long-term chronic effects like damage to their liver damage to uh their well their lungs but there's even brain damage in some cases right that that's right the loss of of taste and smell that is sort of characteristic of 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 COVID-19, that's indication that the, the virus has invaded into the central nervous system. And it can rarely cause an encephalitis, which is an inflammation of the brain. Again, though, most of that resolves like within about a, a week or so of recovery. You know, I, I've been sort of like, you know, telling you like all the problems with the immune system, but the immune system is really miraculous in this infection. It, it you know, 99% of people completely recover from the infection thanks to our, our immune system. So if you, if you don't go to the hospital and you recover, it's likely you'll recover completely. That's, that's exactly right. So listen to that, everybody. If you get it, you'll, it's likely you'll recover completely. Yeah. And that's why a vaccine is going to work so well, because this is not a virus that mutates rapidly like influenza does. And so it's a very stable target for, for the immune why system. Why doesn't it mute? Everybody else mutates. Why doesn't it mutate? It, it, because it has a proofreader. And so most of these viruses, they make mistakes all the time when they make copies of the virus. Coronaviruses actually have an enzyme that goes and, and double checks, just like spell check on Microsoft Word, and corrects any errors that are made. And so that keeps it from mutating very rapidly. How did it evolve this mechanism? Well, you know, I don't know how it did, but it had to do that because it's a very, very large virus. It's, it's about three times as big as influenza. And so influenza can get away by making some, some errors um, but with a larger genome, you make enough errors, you can have like a non-viable virus, one that can't is no longer infectious. And so, so it had to evolve a proofreading activity or it would have disappeared. The more complicated the car, the more likely it is to break down. Exactly. And then this is like a really good news story because that's why the vaccines are going to work so well. That, that, you know, we've been trying for 30 years to make a vaccine against HIV, and that's, that's because it mutates so rapidly. This is just a very stable target for a vaccine. How does it compare physically in size with HIV? 
So it's three times as big as HIV. The genome is three times larger for the new coronavirus. So what do you predict about the long-term effects? Like how much, when you're in the hospital, it's traumatic, right? How much of that sticks with patients that you've seen get out? You know, how long does this thing, these post-trauma things stick around? And, you know, how does it compare to other diseases people recover from, like pneumonia, what have you? Yeah. Well, Bill, I think it's more similar than dissimilar. Um, and so whenever you're, you're very ill and you're in a hospital bed, that just saps your strength. You know, just like lying in bed is going to like debilitate you. And so, so having physical therapy, occupational therapy to help you recover from an infection like this is important. But that's true for bacterial pneumonias. That's true if you've had a heart attack or a stroke. There's going to be a period of rehabilitation after a severe illness like this. So how do people rehabilitate from coronavirus? Just walk around? That's part of it. One of the things that we'll, we'll do before we discharge someone from the hospital is really assess, like, is there someone at home that can help them, you know, so they're not totally on their own? Do we need to get them like a visiting nurse to help out? And sometimes the best thing to do is to go to a rehab facility short term where you can get physical therapy and, and then regain your strength, you know, especially patients that are in the hospital for prolonged periods of time. So can we list the effects, chronic effects that are going to stick with you? You're going to, you probably have reduced lung function because of it's been scarred. Your lungs have been scarred. Yes. Your nervous system that's inhibiting your ability to smell, that'll probably recover, right? That's right. Now, what about pressure on your heart? Is that going to recover? Yes, in general, like rare exceptions. And so what we see is we can see like um, low levels of heart damage during the acute infection. We can measure a heart enzyme called troponin, which should not be in the bloodstream. But when the heart is damaged, it leaks out of the, the muscle cells in the heart. And so wow. yeah, So even though you, you can't tell that the heart's not functioning normally, you can tell that it's being damaged by the infection. Um, but the, those troponins go back to normal even while someone's in the hospital and in almost every case. So the body is, is, is you know, quite amazing in its ability to recover from infections like this. Let's see, what else are there? Your uh, weakness, fatigue? That's right. And, you know, and, and, and those are some, that, those, that's like the really vexing problem is like um, the chronic fatigue, weakness, like that you get shorter breath when you exercise. There's a fair percentage of patients with a, you know, who were hospitalized with COVID-19 that continue to have problems like that for weeks to months after uh, being discharged. And again, that, that's something we don't understand, like what's causing that. <laughs> it's just what a mystery on top of mystery. And you don't have, you don't know what the multi-year effects are because nobody's been around for multi-years with this thing. It's really, it's amazing. Yeah, that's what's so important about what you do, Bill, is, is your ability to, to get people interested in science. Because as a physician, every single patient I see, there's not enough evidence for me to know to exactly what the right thing is to do. There's huge things that we need to understand about medical science in order to improve care. And I've seen like great advances even over the last few months with COVID-19, but there's still so much to learn. So how is this the same or different from other big time landy in the ICU diseases? 
We know that one of the most interesting things is that most diseases as an adult that land you into the ICU are after you've had chronic illnesses. And so you've had diabetes or heart failure or lung failure. Those are the sort of things like that when you're in your 70s and 80s can catch up with you and you can end up in the ICU. So many of the patients I was caring for in the last week have never seen a doctor before. They've been in perfect health. They have like no past medical history. And so this ability of this infection, you know, to, to place you on your back short of breath, even like needing uh, mechanical ventilation is, is, is quite remarkable in a, in a terrible way. How old were the people in your uh, special ward there? So the youngest was uh, 23 and the oldest uh, was 80. And the average patient is, is about you're in my age, Bill. That's the reason for young people to be super careful, because even if you're like 20, you've, you're, your parents, your grandparents are, are susceptible to being, being infected. And so part of your behavior should be to protect your, your elderly relatives. I mean, it's moving so fast. So we're going to learn something from this virus. We are going to learn something about the immune system. We're going to learn something about how to treat patients that present, I'm talking like you guys, how that, that show up with these symptoms. But then in the bigger picture, you, stu- you study the long-term effects, right, of, of this infection. How concerned should everybody be if, let's say, you get COVID-19 and you recover? How concerned should you be about your long-term prospects for your life or what have you? Oh, I'd say in general, you should not be concerned at all. And so we're concerned, things about like long-term complications are going to be the minority of patients, patients who had had the most severe illness. Um, and so it, I think that, that overall, the outlook is, 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 is pretty rosy with this infection. Wow. Except we've got to get uh, millions and millions of people immune one way or the other, right? Now, by the way, how often... <laughs> Do people who recover get reinfected? Does the, do, does the immune system, does your immune response stay with you? Or does it not the way people are speculating? Yeah, it appears that the, the immune system does not stay with you long-term with this. And so the expectation is the way that the antibody levels fall after the infection is like six months to a year later, you might be susceptible to a new infection. That's, and that's creepy. Where, <laughs> yeah, well, that's crazy. one of the challenges with, with making an, a, a vaccine is that we understand from other vaccines how to change things and improve on the natural immune response to give you a sustained antibody response, like the yellow fever vaccine. Yeah, I'm sure that you've had that. I've had that vaccine. Even though we're never exposed to yellow fever, we have high antibody levels in our bloodstream every second of our life for like decades after that vaccine. And so we know enough about immunology now to make a COVID vaccine that looks like the yellow fever vaccine that gives you the sustained immune response. And so I think that so there's solutions to the problem that natural immunity against this infection is short-lived. It's unlike anything in my whole career in medicine to see a brand new infectious disease, to, understand, to see a pandemic and to understand the huge impact this is having on the immune system and then to be able to use the things that I've learned as a medical scientist to, to, to work to try to improve the situation. And, and it, you know, it's, it's a collaborative thing. You know, lots of people are just saying, like, what do I know how to do as a scientist that could help this disease? And so and, and we're seeing that with the pace of progress is just amazing. So you were in the 
COVID ward all last week. I presume you gowned up for all the N95s, face shields, spacesuits, Sandy the Squirrel outfits you could find. You were safe when you were in that environment. Yeah, there, there, there was actually probably no place safer because the attention to infection control is, is, is so great there. We actually have like a, a chaperone that helps us to put like the gowns on and to take them off properly. And it's actually harder to get them off without contaminating yourself. So someone is watching you every step. How concerned should people be about getting sick? What do you think your long-term prospects are? Well, I, I think that it behooves each of us to, to, to do everything possible to prevent from getting in, in, infected. And so not to do activities like with large groups, because, you know, the issue is super spreaders. You know, if you're in a group of like 300 people, chances are there's going to be one super spreader there. Whereas if you're in a group of like 30 people, probably not. And so like keeping out of large groups, wearing masks, washing your hands, all those things are, are so important and and. I think that practicing those things, I think we've seen in Europe and in China that that works. You know, it's not very sexy. It's, it's before a vaccine, but, you know, Europe and China could control it just through really common sense measures like that. You lose your sense of taste and sense of smell for a while. So that means your nervous system's being infected. People have talked about brain damage and um, long-term, uh, I, I guess, dementia. How concerned should people be about that? Right now, I would think not very concerned. I think that that's a, a possibility. And again, when we have like 5 million people that are infected, I think we're going to see, you know, unfortunate rare individuals where the central nervous system is a bigger part of the picture. Right now, it, it's not a, a huge issue, thankfully. So let me ask you this. If you are king of the forest... Is there anything you want everybody to know or things you want everybody to know about the long-term effects of coronavirus? Well, I, I would just echo what you said at the beginning is that we're all in this together and that each of us through our individual actions can help to protect not only ourselves, but, but everyone else. And um, by doing so, then we're not, we won't run the risk of being in the hospital with it. And then some of the long-term complications, especially like the chronic fatigue, we're not going to like suffer from that. So there you go, people. My guest today has been Dr. William Petrie. He is the chief of the Division of Infectious Diseases and International Health at the University of Virginia. If you uh, have some questions, leave us a voicemail. The number here is 201-472-0785. You can also write to me at askbillnye.com. And I am Bill Nye. And my friends, this is a pandemic. And as Dr. Petrie just reminded us yet again, we are all in this together. And so when it comes to addressing the coronavirus, more than ever, science rules. If you like science rules, and of course I hope you do, please take a moment to rate and review it in Apple Podcasts and on Stitcher. Helps us out and helps other people learn about the show. Helps us know what you want to hear. So thank you. Science Rules Coronavirus Edition is produced by Harry Huggins and Corey S. Powell. Our editor is Tracy Samuelson. Our engineer is Luz Fleming, who also mixed this episode. Josephine Martirana is our executive producer. Special thanks to Casey Halford. And Chris Bannon is the chief content officer, the CCO at Stitcher. And at Stitcher, everyone, Science Rules. And there are three more things I'd like you to keep in mind. Wash your hands, wear a mask, and keep a social distance. Carry on, everyone. Be safe out there.
Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.